Welcome to a special early Halloween horror edition of the Wireside Chat. And I'm Melissa uh, and I are thrilled uh, to have with us tonight three um, instructors from our program who are uh, experts, I would say, in, um, in uh, the horror genre. Um, first, we have uh, Mary San Giovanni, is an award-winning American uh, she is an award-winning American horror and thriller writer of nearly 20 books, including the forthcoming Alien, Enemy of My Enemy, as well as short stories, comics, and nonfiction. Her work has been translated internationally. She has a master's degree in writing popular fiction from Seton Hill University, Pittsburgh, and is currently a co-host of the Ghost Writers podcast. Born and raised in New Jersey, she currently resides in Pennsylvania. <coughs> Excuse me. Also with us is Sydney Williams, who is the author of several novels, including Dark Hours and Disciples of the Serpent, a Lovecraftian thriller. His latest spooky story is called By Side Saddle, and it will appear next year in an anthology called Unknown Heroes versus the Forces of Darkness. As of this year, he has been teaching creative writing for a decade, so congratulations on that milestone. And then we have Elmarie Wood. Uh, is an award-winning dark fiction author, screenwriter, and poet with novels in the psychological horror, mystery, and dark romance genres. She won the Golden Stake Award for her novel, The Promise Keeper. She is a MICO, MICO Award-nominated screenwriter, and has won Best Horror, Best Action, Best Afrofuturism, Horror, Sci-Fi, and Best Short Story Screenplay Awards in both national and international film festivals. Wood's short fiction has been published in groundbreaking works, including the Bram Stoker Award finalist anthology, Sycorax's Daughters and Slay, Stories of the Vampire Noir. Wood is also an English and creative writing professor and a horror scholar. So we're just like thrilled to have this distinguished panel of experts uh, and awesome writers uh, with us tonight to help us talk a little bit about the spooky season, as uh, our guest uh, Michael referred to it. <laughs> so I'm just gonna gonna throw it open by asking a uh, a simple yet probably um, uh, annoying question, which is like, how do you define horror? What separates horror from other genres? Because it's often lumped into, say, speculative fiction, but I think it has its own characteristics. So maybe some of you could talk a little bit about that. That's funny. That's a point of contention for me that it's lumped into the speculative fiction umbrella. And I, you know, I used to talk about that a lot. And I think I've stopped talking about that quite a bit because it's kind of just like me and five people discussing that. <laughs> I think, you know, I think that it is distinct. It's different. I mean, the intention, to, so to answer your question, the intention of horror is to frighten. And mm -hmm. other genres don't have that as their main focus. They may frighten. That might be something they consider doing on, you know, as a secondary thing. But for horror, the goal is to scare, you know, and mm -hmm. it's on whatever level. But still, that's the first focus. And so I think that sometimes when we get into the speculative fiction umbrella, it can be watered down and we become a subgenre of this bigger thing when we really are our own genre. So, but again, I said I wasn't going to get on that soapbox unless you all <laughs> no, want it's, to. It's too late. It's too late. You're on the soapbox. Well, I, 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 I will say it, I think it is very distinct. And what I have often told students is that most fiction is about what's going to happen next. 
horror is about, oh, my God, don't let that happen. (laughs) It is about dread and and worrying (laughs) and uh, wondering what, you know, what that sound is out there in the darkness. And uh, that's a good point. I, I, I it does share some elements of speculative fiction in that there's the speculation on what what would happen. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree with, with Lisa and Sydney both that uh, the point is to scare, to uh, to horrify, sometimes to disgust, but, you know, depending on the, the type. And, and it is, it's both, I think, a genre of what we don't want to happen and sometimes what's already happened yes. and how people react to it. I think the atmosphere and... And the ultimate purpose are are what distinguish horror from, say, something like dark fantasy or even even from something like like a paranormal romance where you could have vampires in both. But the point of them in horror is to elicit a a reaction of dread or fear. Yeah, I I think that emotion. The, showcasing that emotion or highlighting that emotional response is, is mm-hmm. something that's that is helpful in thinking about horror. Uh, sometimes I, you know, you think you hear horror being kind of divided into two, like two types. There's horror that makes use of a supernatural element, horror mm-hmm. that does not make use of a super. I mean, that's probably one of the scariest books I've ever read, at least in so far in so far as the effect that it had upon me was Helter Skelter. Um, yeah. I mean, that just mm-hmm. a terrifying work of like, I guess you would call it like nonfiction horror or something. But but when you think about uh, horror as a genre that is is all about eliciting certain emotions in the reader, then that kind of uh, distinction between supernatural and non-supernatural horror becomes less important. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, historically there has there was some debate that. Uh, the, the non-supernatural was actually horror versus thriller, mm-hmm. but I, I think we've moved past that and we can acknowledge uh, things like Psycho, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, <laughs> kind of took us across the threshold. And uh, now we absolutely can have horror with the human monster uh, as the threat. Mm-hmm. Right. I- That's So the monster is an important facet of, of, hor- of the horror genre. Whether that monster is is a supernatural thing or or ourselves, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. and I think that some authors over throughout time, because when you mentioned that Sydney, it brought to mind Beloved and Toni Morrison's thought about her own work and mm-hmm. it not being horror fiction. But I'm like anyone who reads this is it's going to beg to differ. It, it definitely I, you know, has yeah, that it's a human monster for for. Yeah specific reasons right i mean but it was mm-hmm. a horrific thing that happened the whole thing is just horrific and it's painful on so many different levels and all of those tick the boxes for horror you know mm-hmm. so i think that mm-hmm. we really it's it's a viewpoint that sometimes authors who are not entrenched in it like i've always been a horror author i there's no denying that for me but if you kind of stumble into it and write this really creepy amazing thing you may not but you were a thriller author traditionally you might not you know grab onto this distinction with with as much you know gusto as i do and that continues to perpetuate this confusion and this you know mm-hmm. us versus them a separation of genre mm-hmm. if you will and that's a that's 
when you think about it, it's really all marketing and wording, you know, labeling. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of frustrating yeah. when you get to that point. It is. And, and I think I think we are finally beginning to move past the point of uh, of uh, horror being treated as a a, uh, a genre that's over there and that we don't talk about as much or whatever. Uh, you know, it, its merits are being recognized more and more happily. And is is that be? I'm I'm sorry, Mary. Go ahead. Well, so I, I was just I I was agreeing. I I think the the intent with thrillers is generally it's pacing and plot, but with horror, like Lisa said, the the emotional impact is really I think in the forefront, which means characters sometimes tend to be a, more of a focus than the plot, which is mm-hmm. I think why it, it, I, I mean if 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 there needed to be a distinction, but uh, it, it, like like Lisa said, there's sometimes there's there's a bit of crossover, and it always bothered me when people would eschew the title of horror writer when that's primarily what they're writing because, as Sydney said, it wasn't always a very popular genre to belong to, you know, um, because horror is capable of incredibly emotionally impactful things, beautiful things, along with the horrific, you know, just these beautiful concepts. And to me, horror was always a genre that looked at in the face of tragedy or, or a crisis, the best that a human being could become. Sometimes granted, it's also about the worst a human being could become, but it's a transcendent experience Mm-hmm. And I, I think that makes horror a lot more powerful than people give it credit for, particularly, you know, in the broader world out there, you know, in, in, in other media, horror related mm-hmm. media. Well, you know, there have been many debates about why is horror popular if it is about bad things. And, you know, one conclusion, I think it's Noel Carroll in The Philosophy of Horror concludes that it ultimately produces uh, a sense of awe because mm-hmm. there are, you know, these, these fantastical things that we experience or, or, or whatever in a, out of darkness. And um, um, that is, I think that also kind of aligns with Stephen King's definition of, uh, of the highest level of horror. I think the terror is his highest level. Yes. Where it is, uh, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, not just that, uh, there's bad things or not are supernatural things or there are gross things, but that there is, you know, something that just makes us look at the world in suddenly in a new way. Right. And so and, that yeah, capability is fantastic. All. Yeah. And they, I mean, they inspire hope and resilience. Mm-hmm. Really. That, that reminds me of, it reminds me a little of Rilke, you know, his concept of angels. Every angel is terrifying. Um, you know, it, it's it's like a, 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 a confrontation with something, uh, as you as you put it, transcendent. Um, and and oftentimes our response to that is at least initially one of terror. Mm-hmm. I would submit that it also provides the escapism in the same way that fantasy and science fiction and romance do. It's just a little different. It's what it's kind of pick your fancy. What how do yeah. you want to escape? Because right. supernatural, I mean, there, there are no vampires. I mean, not like not like Bram Stoker's Dracula. That we don't have that, right? There are not there are no zombies. There are not in real life. There are no 
beings like that. So therefore you can escape and just have fun being afraid by something and, you know, running with this character and, and running through the book. And it's completely separated from your life because your daily life, you're not encountering a zombie mm-hmm. on the corner, just like you're not encountering a dragon on the corner. So when you, when you make it real, I mean, we have realistic horror. We all know this. If there's, mm-hmm. you know, subgenres within our genre that have that, but if you're reading a mystery or a thriller and it's about a murder that could have actually really happened in real life, you know, it's not right. so fantastical that it's not a real mm-hmm. scenario. The escapism is a little different because for me, if it could really happen, that's now I'm terrified of it. Mm-hmm. If you give me something that can't happen, <laughs> you know, I'm just right. going to enjoy the story. So well, you know, I, I think people I, need to consider that. I think, and you know, I think, I think I, I, I can find myself still scared by the supernatural, but I'm less, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm more my adult self when I'm more my adult self. I'm, I'm less scared of that, but, uh, I also think, you know, that's where some of the, some of the old monsters kind of have gravitated toward the paranormal romance and things mm-hmm. and pe- they can still be enjoyed and they can still be catalysts, but maybe, you know, we look for new things that scare us. And of course, mm-hmm. You know, historically, you know, it's 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 the rule of thumb. The unknown is what is, mm-hmm. um, you know, most terrifying. And I think also uh, and I, I, I don't remember who said this. It's not original w- with me, but that horror sometimes begins as horror. And then once we know the threat, it becomes thriller as we deal with the thriller. And I was th- has anybody seen Barbarian? I don't want to spoil. I won't spoil anything. I haven't seen not it yet. But uh, Barbarian, that really kind of I was reminded of that because uh, there there are several twists in Barbarian. And and, and, uh, the most unsettling portion of that to me is when you don't know and you don't know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, uh, I think, you know, things can be tiered. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's suspense. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And suspense is in both. It's in both. I I think um, it's like they said in I think it was Aliens where she says if we know what it is we can kill it mm-hmm. and we, if yeah. we can, if we can identify it we can kill it uh, I I think that for um, for horror if it's supernatural I think it appeals to some I don't know primal archetype or or child part of us like Sydney was saying the grown up part of you is really more scared I think of the things that reflect what we're reading in the news, you know, or, or like where human monsters are the problem. And that's, there's something sort of, I don't know, like uh, reflective of society where we're, we're looking more at like society's ills. The supernatural, I think, a- appeals to that superstitious part of us that still checks behind us if you're walking down a hallway and it's dark and you're by yourself. I mean, you know, you're by yourself, you know, intellectually, you're by yourself. You know, or or that that part of you that, you know, doesn't want to stay on the 13th floor of a hotel. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's there's there's it's that little bit of what if, which is speculative. It's it's present in all speculative fiction. But I to me, like for me personally, I, I find that more escapist because it, it's it's like it, it's how you process horror but you do it differently depending on the subgenre you're reading you know you're either processing real life horrors or you're processing ancient archetype horrors you know 
Let, let me jump into the chat where we have a question that I or kind of a, a, a reflection that I think is uh, interesting to think about and maybe talk about a little bit from uh, Michael, who says there's a kind of self-reflection that happens with horror where we see what frightens us. And that says something about who we are and what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's true. Very true. Mm hmm. Like for for what I, I mostly what I write primarily is, is cosmic horror. So like Lovecraftian kind of stuff. And one of the things that I think appeals to me about it is that sense, like Sydney said, of, of the unknown. You know, that the, the oldest uh, Lovecraft said the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear and the strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Um, I it, there's a certain nihilistic, I think, ideology in, in cosmic horror, which I don't personally subscribe to, but I find sort of fascinating because to me, cosmic horror sort of, it, it embodies what I love about horror, which is that, that transcendent nature of it, that mm -hmm. fluidity of reality where, <laughs> where things can change. And, um, in, in studying some of the work, like, uh, like Michael said in the chat, there is a self-reflective element of it because we pride ourselves, I think, on thinking that we have purpose and that our lives have meaning to somebody somewhere. And cosmic horror and horror in general, I think, really sort of strains that idea. Like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure right. you matter? <laughs> are mm -hmm. you sure that you have a real purpose here other than to be, you know, horror fodder for whatever the monster has to be and it, it is there is an element of self-reflection both i think on a personal psychological level and also on a societal level again i think kind of depending on subgenre but yeah absolutely there is a self-reflective element in horror well, that i think is important i think it kind of forces that and of course lovecraft's notion that the universe was indifferent is you know embodied in his sense of cosmic horror and there's a, an old poem, I think. I think it's a poem. I, it's, I, I don't remember who said it, but it's it's like a man said to the universe, sir, I exist. And the universe said, yes, but that has not created in me any sense of obligation. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, that is very much horror. You know, horror doesn't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're something, as you said, you're something to be stepped on if you're, <laughs> if you're Cthulhu or <laughs> whoever. Yeah. I think that horror has definitely, and I, I think we can all attest to this, I mean, horror has looked at the world with this critical lens and mm -hmm. given creators an opportunity mm -hmm. to sort of just <laughs> write a story that, you know, has the its finger on the pulse of whatever's going on. So mm -hmm. in that, you see that, you know, it's it's self-reflective, it's, it's, it's reflective of the world, it's reflective of, you know... The the community, it's it's so many different things that, you know, I as writers, all of us, it doesn't matter the genre, we all have a little bit of ourselves in, in every book. I mean, whether it's a character, mm -hmm. you know, a little piece of something, it doesn't matter what it is. You can't really help it. Right. But horror allows us to go further and say, all right, well, if I am wondering, especially uh, my genre is psychological horror. So the idea of did, did I see that or is that? you know, some sort of manifestation or is there something happening to me or is that really going on in front of me and I'm the only one who sees it? And then then the question, of course, why? 
you know, and then that answer can be, can go either way. And that why is kind of sometimes what is the community thinking about this thing that is so loosely related that, you know, it's almost mm-hmm. going to be indecipherable. However, it is like the crux of what I'm talking about in the story. Or what do I think about it? So right. I think that we owe to that regard. I think that we as authors kind of owe not only the stories that chance to live and breathe, but also give the readers the opportunity to sort of deal with whatever conflict is going Mm -hmm. on and watch it play out in a way that can never happen. This is escapism again, but watch it play out in this way that is safe for them, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they can at least get to a resolution and by the end of it, they can be done, you know, with that one thing (laughs) and move on to something else, you know. Some other terrifying some other terrifying yeah. thing. I mean, I think that I think that if you think about what the um, zombie books have done for us dealing with health concerns or dealing right. with things in the world, a lot of people. I mean, all you had to do was watch Netflix and see exactly how the programming changed when you know our lives all changed. Programming mm-hmm. became. I couldn't. I would have to deliberately not. <laughs> look at my main screen so that I could find some things that were not about like contagion and this, that, yeah. and the other, and all these words. Yeah. And yep. I'm like, come on, I don't want to see that, you know. But it was there and it was so prominent because it was helping people process. And I think that's mm-hmm. just what we do as creators. So yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely self-respect, uh, self-reflective, and it should be. I mean, do you, do you feel that, um, uh, it seems to me anyway, that that horror is undergoing a uh, kind of a, a golden age you know it's it's becoming a lot more popular it's 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 uh, uh, achieving like a more sustainable you know there have been horror booms in the past but they could never sustain themselves I mean from a publishing standpoint now that doesn't seem to be the case um, and I can't help but wonder if you know all the you know uh, tied into what you were just saying about about horror kind of um, uh, um, dealing with issues that are that are ongoing in the real world, um, you know, we have a political instability. We have uh, the, the the possible collapse of democracy in our country and abroad. We have the truly terrifying implications of climate change. Are, do all of these things create the environment that's kind of you know the perfect environment for the horror to thrive? I I think so. I I think that. Horror seems to have a boom when there is political or social unrest, and we've had an awful lot of that in the last few years uh, and and are still seeing no signs of that slowing down, unfortunately. Um, And when there's uh, when we when we conquer something, believe it or not, like if every time we solve a problem, you know, like we've we've mastered, you know, a cure for something or we've gotten to. Mars or whatever the case is, then there's it, it opens up more questions. And every time there's a, an unknown again, horror has a new field to play in. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely think that's part of what the boom is. I think that during COVID, when when everything was locked down, I think it it, it drastically changed how we watch movies, you know. And but I think the streaming services went looking far and wide for different kinds of things for different content and a lot of that was horror a lot of it was international horror which was some of which is absolutely fantastic yeah and i think that people who maybe might not have given horror a chance because they think of it like as all blood and guts and not for the 
you know, delicate or thoughtful types of horror that exist out there. I think they finally saw things like maybe, you know, Bird Box, Josh Mallon's Bird mm, Box, yeah. you know, or, or you know, The Lovely Bones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which are absolutely horror, but maybe not necessarily marketed that way or that aren't what they expected horror to be. Right. Uh, it maybe broadened our audience a little bit. You know, people or, willing to give horror a chance. Or even a, even a show like Dark. I'm thinking of, you know, which yeah. which like has so many different genre elements in it, but really it boils down to kind of, in my opinion, anyway, kind of a horror a horror story because mm-hmm. the, the 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 just just the the whole the whole you know I don't want to give anything away, but like the structural setup of the whole thing is just so so like uh, sadistic. It's just <laughs> it builds builds you with with dread, but you can't stop watching. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing about yeah. horror, isn't it? It's like you can't look it does away. fill you with dread, but you right. cannot look away. Why, and why? Why is that? Why can you not look away? Because in the movie theater, you know, you're always seeing people going, like, "I can't watch." You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to know it's going to be okay. It's like, uh, and and this is, I, I, I apologize if this comes across as an insensitive example, but it's like a like a car accident, you know. There's always rubbernecking when there's a car accident, not not because we want to necessarily see the gore of an accident, but on some level, maybe we need to see it and need to see that it's going to be OK. So that somebody's coming out of it. That somebody's mm-hmm. coming out yeah. of it, that ultimately the world writes itself again, because so many times, you know, you read the horrible headlines about like people hurting children or, you know, people being displaced or, or, you know, taken away from, from families or just these random senseless acts of violence. And there is no rebalancing that we can see. There's no justice or fairness that we can see. And I think that in horror, as, as maybe as much as we want to look away, we need to look back again because the reason we're engaging in that experience, I think honestly, the reason we even write about those kinds of experiences is to balance the world out again, to say that, yes, this horrible thing happened, but look at what's going to happen to the, the people who committed that horrible thing. Uh, and, and, yeah, ultimately, there is that catharsis of, uh, of uh, you know, the comeback and the mm-hmm. defeat. Uh, there may be the suggestion that evil has not died, but but, right. but it is. We, we stay and we wait for the catharsis that's coming, you know, that, that, right. that payoff. We need the survival element of it, that we can survive it. We can get past it, even if it doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah. So that's interesting. Mary and Sydney have a different perspective than I do on that. I think that people are looking and can't turn away or can't, like, actually close their, you know, close their fingers so that they're not peeking through them is because they have to be sure. There's a catharsis and there's a there's a. a, a search for resolution, but not this quite the same. They have to be sure that it isn't as bad as they thought mm-hmm. it was, or mm-hmm. if it That's is, true. that they can stomach it or not. The, mm-hmm. the thought of not knowing how it ended, no matter how terrifying, no matter how gruesome, mm-hmm. whatever, is worse than you know, having to deal with whatever that outcome is. That's so, a great point. And that's, yes, that's that answers the, that answers the question. Why do you go into the basement? You know, you know <laughs> you shouldn't go down there. Why? Well, you go down there because you have to see. Is it as bad mm-hmm. as I thought? That's, that's a great point. 
Yeah. You know, honestly, that's why I watched Game Game of Thrones because so many people told me it was so brutal and so violent. I mean, to tell that to a horror writer, right. I'm imagining like <laughs> atrocities that you couldn't even possibly put on film. And I'm watching this. I'm like, oh yeah, that's ba- that's bad. That's brutal. But that's not nearly what I thought it was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 I can handle exactly. that. You, you, you guys are you guys are a tough audience. You know, that's, that that's Stephen King's that's Stephen King's through thing too. You know, the knock at the door is frightening. But uh, you know, if you open the door and it's a twenty foot worm, you go, Oh, okay, well that's fine. I was imagining a thirty foot worm. <laughs> uh-huh. exactly. You know, exactly. This is much better. <laughs> I, I wanted to note too that uh, you know, in talking about the 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 popularity, the rising popularity, the acceptance, is that maybe you know, there has been a wave of acceptance for decades of genre becoming more acceptable. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the 60s, we saw things like <clears throat> McDonald gain some respect as a detective writer. And uh, with I, you know, I don't you know, don't know if I'm hitting all the markers, but uh, next generation science fiction became, you know, not just this thing that, you know, a few weird people liked, but that mm-hmm. more and more people embraced. And so maybe it's horror's turn. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it is it is weird because I feel like, you know, I grew up in the in the 60s and 70s and, you know, I was a science fiction fan and uh, a fantasy fan. And I feel as though uh, I internalized a lot of the um, uh, kind of critical views toward those genres that were prevalent at the time, which were very, very much, you know, dismissive and condescending. Um, and yet. Within that space, science fiction and fantasy writers could always go like, well, at least we're not horror. You know, they could always, <laughs> they could always look down. It's important to always have some other genre look down on. Um, and, and horror sort of uh, served that, that role for many other writers, I think, who should have known better, like me. Because uh, my, my writing is, you know, um, at least horror adjacent, if not you know, outright horror itself. I mean, I finally, I was like, just the, earlier this year, I was like, why am I not a member of the HWA? I mean, mm. it just doesn't make sense. You know, I've been a, a member of SIFWA for for 30 years, but it never, it never crossed my mind. And then I just started to think about all the stuff I've written. I'm like, well, shoot, that's horror. So maybe I'm a late, I'm a late bloomer or something, <laughs> or like come to the realization late in life. That, oh, my maybe God, I was a horror maybe writer all along. to the, the right table at the party. You know? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, right. I mean, you know, we've been here waiting, so yeah, I don't know. But... <laughs> now, 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 now I'm with all I, the I cool feel, kids. I feel vindicated. We finally got Dungeons & Dragons to be cool. That's now right. we have horror be cool. Right. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. will be the coolest kids on the block, really. <laughs> we'll be the OGs. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so do, when you're writing your own horror... Are you frightened? Are you? Does it terrify you in some manner, or is it? Are you to take kind of a more coldly calculated uh, approach to it? <laughs> it's a great question, right? <laughs> I, I've there there have been scenes that I've written that I know are important for the books that they're in, but I won't reread them. In fact, I, if there are typos in there. I apologize. It's because I could not reread that scene again. And I was just going by, you know, I I, I kind of like, you know, sort of did one of, yeah, it, just to make sure that, it, because I think that, I, I remember a writer telling me once, somebody who'd been doing it much longer than I had, you know, you write 
well, but you write safe. And mm-hmm. you're never really going to scare other people unless you can write about the things that make you uncomfortable too. So maybe not freaked out, scared, have to look behind me, creeped out, but I've definitely written things that have been outside my comfort zone. And I think they tend to be better than the things that are safe, you know, for me personally. Yeah. I, 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 I do like you say, certain scenes, I think I find myself immersed, you know, in the situation and everything and feeling it with the characters. I think that, you know, is maybe when it is really working and mm-hmm. you're really in that zone. Uh, and uh, actually, I just turned in a thriller. Uh, and interestingly, a, a large part of it takes place in a hurricane. And then hmm. they, some characters have to go outside and, uh, I, I I really you know was exhausted when those scenes were written because uh, you know and there and there is the terror of the storm coming and mm-hmm. then the you know the terror of being in it and uh, uh, I also a, a large part of one of my books takes place in a basement and uh, yeah I felt like I lived there for a while <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah I I wrote something that <clears throat> scared me while writing it. I wrote it. I like to write at night and I wrote it and the house is quiet. I mean, I'm talking, it's early morning, truly. It's like two, three in the morning and house is quiet, which never happens around here, right? The house is quiet (laughs) and it's really dark, right? No one's driving anywhere. Even the guy who gets up at 4 a.m. across the street, he still has an hour more to sleep, but I'm up writing. (laughs) And I finished this thing and it was dark outside my office, which is the only room with light on. And I was afraid to get up and walk into that because (laughs) I described something (laughs) and I'm like, I can't get to the light switch. Oh my God, I'm never getting out of here. I'm going to sleep in here. And I sat there for a couple of minutes, like, come on now, are you kidding? You know, and so I finally got up, but I ran upstairs like I was 10 years old as opposed to, you know, whatever age I am. I'm not giving that away. But, you know, I ran upstairs like a kid. Like something was chasing me. And then when we came down to editing it, I read it and I literally yelled out loud. I'm like, my God, I don't think I can read it. Right. (laughs) Put it down. Came back to it. And I'm like, uh, now the edit has to happen at one in the afternoon because I'm like, it needs to be sunlight. I need all of it. And I'm reading it and I'm just like, this part is really scary to me. And all Mm -hmm. I could say was, Man, if it's bothering me that much, it's going to impact somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. I mean, and now like, that's our goal. If we're going to write these scary stories, we want to make sure we can. Because if I'm writing something scary about a marshmallow and marshmallows aren't scaring anyone, then no one's going to be frightened about the marshmallow. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have to really tap into the thing that frightens me and put it on paper. And that one time, I, c- I couldn't believe that I, and I avoided a specific room because I'd used a portion of a description of one of my rooms. And it's not, I, yeah. no one could identify it if they read it. It's not on the nose, but I know what I'm talking about. And I was like, <laughs> I can't even go in there right now. I need yeah. to look. <laughs> you know, it needs yeah. to be light, all light. <laughs> and that was, that's when I knew it was working. Like Sydney said, it, that's when it's working to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely make sure that some aspect of what I'm writing frightens me, because mm-hmm. if it doesn't, I don't think I'm going to frighten anybody else. And like I said, mm-hmm. I'm psychological horror, so I'm kind of quiet with it. You know, it's not right. necessarily blatantly out there. I've got to make sure something sits in your head and it makes you think about it the next day. And if I can do that, it's only because it happened to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Hey, uh, let, let, Paul, can, I, can I ask a question based on the chat? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a really good discussion going on in the chat about the the issue of unresolved endings in a horror story. Um, how do you, how do you feel about unresolved endings and readers not knowing how it all turns out? Love it. And I think we're more accepting of that now. I think, uh, you know, we get used to, we build up an immunity to templates in stories, mm -hmm. if you will. And so, oh, well, I knew that was going to happen. And so, you know, now happily we can walk into the theater or pick up a book and we don't know, we're not guaranteed there's going to be a happy ending. Uh, right. we're, we're, we're pretty much guaranteed there's going to be, you know, connective tissue that adds up to that ending. Right. But, uh, uh, and I think that can be very terrifying. Uh, yes. Well, think about a story like The Turn of the Screw. I mean, that is, to me, kind of an ultimate unresolved ending. Mm -hmm. You can argue forever about what actually is happening, whether we're talking about supernatural horror, whether we're talking about psychological horror, uh, just, you know, a masterwork in, in horror uh, written at at a time where the the genre distinctions were not as as uh, as rigid as they as they perhaps are today, where mm -hmm. a Henry James you know can feel like he can he can pick up his pen and write that that kind of story. But I get, I mention that only to show that um, the unresolved ending has in horror anyway has has been a kind of a staple of those stories for quite some time. Um, and I guess a lot of ghost stories are the are well, of course, Turn of the Screw is a ghost story. Ghost stories are particularly uh, apt for that that kind of uh, questioning ending, I guess. But 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 is is that a flaw in a story to have like everything come to a point at which uh, a reader may be expecting some kind of resolution, but instead we're left uh, either grasping at straws or just with with an ambiguity that has no solution. I think it can be more terrifying if you don't yeah. get an answer. So I think it depends on how, how we're defining unresolved. If right. it's a well done story, then even an ambiguous ending still has something of a resolution. Like if you think about like John Carpenter's The Thing, that has an ambiguous ending. Because uh, it's spoiler alert, folks. If you haven't seen it, first of all, if you're a horror fan and you haven't seen it, you should go forth. It's it, it, it been around nice. a few years. You had your <laughs> chance. Exactly. It's a it's a, a masterwork of horror. Um, but the ending leaves two characters, and neither one is sure about the humanity of the other. And mm -hmm. to me, that's that's a very ambiguous ending. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. It. You know, and that's a great that's a great example because it's that it's the unknowing that mm -hmm. is the right. that that that's where the horror lies. And and for that kind of story, it almost couldn't end any other way. Like it, it's almost a perfect type of story to have an ambiguous ending. If you have the kind of story that I I think it was that Sydney said that you're you're lacing it throughout with hints as to the direction that it's going 
and then you have an ambiguous ending, people can make their own decisions about what they think that means. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can be incredibly satisfying, you know, to, to you know, go back and rewatch it and put the little pieces together all along the way. Um, but it has to be something that, in my opinion, that allows for an ambiguous ending to, to work. If you just have something that just sort of stops abruptly and hasn't earned the right to sort of stop abruptly, I think it can be frustrating and confusing. Well, yeah. and, and I think hard that's maybe not so good does that sometimes, but there are plenty of, uh, of good examples of horror doing it well. Mm-hmm. And it is, it, you, it takes you back to the unknown again, you know, it, it does. And, and Kelly links, uh, I, Kelly links the special uh, is the specialist hat comes to mind it's a story that builds and it doesn't give us all the answers, but we can look back through it and find things that have been said. And mm-hmm. to me, it makes the fear linger longer because that's you have right. to go back and keep thinking about it. Yes, that's um, right. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. My example is going to be not horror, but just it's a, not even a movie. The Sopranos ending. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. like or lump. That ending was like amazing. Why? Because it's a it's now a discussion piece. You mm-hmm. know, it's now you want to go back and watch and see if you can catch any clues in that last scene to see if they, mm-hmm. you know, made it out or mm-hmm. if they were, you know, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm spoiling it for you, but did they make it out? Did they, you know, <laughs> right. were they were they <laughs> slaughtered at the table or or what? Right. I, and I would say. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's been some discussion about the ending they discussed, you know, in, in like this year, I think uh, David Chase yeah. has talked about that. But I think ultimately that is a better ending than if you had gotten an answer. Yes. That's exactly I where I was going, Sydney. It, if you if you give everything away, like with psychological horror and quiet horror, we don't always give everything away. So you're kind mm-hmm. of like right in my wheelhouse right now. We kind of let you draw some conclusions because the goal is to have the peace linger. So you're creating yes. the dread. You're creating this this long the con, well I don't want to call it confusion, but the open endedness of the mm-hmm. ending creates conversation. So mm-hmm. this is how book clubs get to discuss, you know, and go in depth with novels. This is how in when you're watching a movie, you see an ending and you go get coffee after and you're talking about this movie, a movie that ties everything up and, you know, just pat perfect. You know what happens? There's nothing to talk about after that. Not That's at true. least not storyline based, you know, and if you want that to be the thing that continues, you you want to make sure that you leave something out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Something to linger, something to ponder. I 100 percent agree with you that the ending of The Sopranos was fantastic. I loved it. I loved yes. it from the moment it happened. And I thought, <laughs> how, you know, and then and that created a, bit, a debate in my house because no one else liked it but me. <laughs> but again, <laughs> you know, um, see, I, I do think that there are um, in the in the one or two episodes preceding it. There are some indications as to what that ending meant. And I yep. think that's why it works, because even if you can't say for sure, um, there is some there is some clue there. And 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 it does it opens up an interesting sort of psychological, you know, examination, like how you interpret something like that. You know what it says about you, what it says about mm-hmm. the piece itself, you know. It, they're fun. And and you're right. Yeah. Quiet horror, psychological horror, like a lot of uh, uh, Charlie Grant's short stories are like that. I are thought, about, mm-hmm. I thought yep. about him. Yeah, they are all about an impression. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
And if it's done well, the reader doesn't come away with frustration. They come away with, and they don't say, yes. oh, I have all these questions that are unanswered and they're angry about it. They have, they, the, they could say the very same sentence and say, oh, I have all these questions that are unanswered and debate it and think about it and come up mm -hmm. with, you know, writing is a, is a partnership. And I've said this before in class, but writers, writing is a partnership between the author and the student or the student. I'm sorry. I said class and I went straight to school, author and reader, you know, and so you, you kind of, I'm going to give you the story like 98%, you know, come right. a little bit, use your right. imagination and let's see what you come up with. And in that the, the readers are engaged in the material and they feel a part of it and they come away with this sense of a deeper understanding than just reading something and, or having something read to you and just walking away and it's finished. And, you know, just, I think an interest in not only that reader, but other stories that are that not only that writer, but other stories that are similar so mm -hmm. from that perspective, I think the open-ended ending, as long as set up properly, mm -hmm. is very, mm -hmm. very successful. And that's one of the pleasures to me, actually, about writing somewhat quieter stuff mm -hmm. is finding the perfect word to use, the perfect phrase, the way to construct it so that I'm sort of shepherding a reader toward a conclusion even if I don't hand it to them, you know, right. and, and, and it, it's, it's very satisfying to see people get it. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I, I think it, it's it's rewarding to me as a reader when there are dots to go back and connect. And mm -hmm. I, I get there. Yeah. I was looking it up and there's a story by uh, T.E.D. Klein called Growing Things. Yes. Uh, and uh, fabulous story. It leaves you with like one little, I think, a, a blemish, spoiler warning, but a blemish on a cheek. But then you have to go back and think about everything you've read. Mm -hmm to interpret that and mm -hmm. uh, just a, a powerful story for that, uh, what it demands of you. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it, I can't help but think in the, in the ways that we're talking about unresolved endings and the, and the um, uh, demands that, uh, that certain kinds of stories can place on readers, the partnership between readers and, and um, writers. I'm thinking about the ways in which um, kind of mainstream fiction, especially like, the short story in in the mainstream fiction, like mm -hmm. over like the last, I don't know, 30 years or so, the, the archetypal New Yorker story, which like mm -hmm. is not about anything um, that is like consummately crafted, uh, but leaves like at the end of it, you're like, what the what the hell well, just, what happened? just happened? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 some of what's going on in horror, I think, is is a generation of writers who um, not only absorbed like the uh, you know the the heritage of 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 the horror writers before them, but we're also take pulling from like you know the more literary so to speak side of things, um, in terms of like how to structure a story, the mm -hmm. possibility of an unresolved ending, uh, a focus more on character than plot, um, mm -hmm. and then you wind up with this new kind of resurgent horror, which is like you know working on multiple levels. It's not just fear. It's not just the gross out. Um, it's it's like it's it's operating on a human level that mm. was perhaps attained by other writers previously, but I think has been uh, is more common now as as uh, a central facet of these stories. That's how it seems to me mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I want to say that just to put out that there is room for the gross out. You know, there's there's oh, yeah. well, there's like not King says he always go. He'll always go. He can always out. go for that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, there's room for it. And I mean, even as a as a psychological slash quiet horror author, every now and then there's some something gross in my I mean, I may not approach it just for saying here's the gross thing. You know, I, I'll lead up to it a little differently. Right. But it's still well, there some because the story the story lends itself to it sometimes, right? I mean, and so we right. have these subgenres that break things up, and it goes back to that distinction. And you talk, you, you bring up Henry James, which of course you talked about my one of my favorite stories ever. Right. But you know, <laughs> it, we 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 didn't have all these you know silos, if you will, that right. we had to stay within for for a long a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And now we do. So there's a huge delta between quiet horror and you know extreme horror, visceral. Mm-hmm. And, and and but there's room for both at the table. And I, oh, I yeah. think I think extra, and I think I think every subgenre of horror is always viable. You know, we may see trends toward one or the other, but then something will come along and you know just be it's extreme but amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when Clive Barker appeared on the uh, scene. Well, and, we've got a new know, Hellraiser that's playing with that right. uh, tool yeah. set all over again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, those first books of blood were just like, yeah. what the, what is this guy doing? Where is he coming from? Just mm-hmm. incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think it's, it's again, it's the excitement of the unknown. Like, I can remember the first time I read the books of blood. Because, uh, you know, you read you read Stephen King for a while. Stephen King will, and, and I've, I, I think I tend to do this more, too, where... It's mostly quiet, but every once in a while there's this like not misplaced, but it, it it's it's a scene brutal enough to set up what the threat is in the story, just to say, hey, look, I'm serious. This isn't all right. just bumps yeah. and creaks in the night. There's actual physical threat here, you know. Yeah. And and Stephen King tends to do that. Like there'll be like one or two scenes where you're like, oh wow, ah, you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of rough. But um, but Clive Barker stuff just dove right into it. I mean, just swan dived into the, the, the <laughs> yeah. beauty of the visceral and yeah. and the first time you read something like that you think like this isn't safe escape par this is like i don't know where this is going to go yeah. i don't know if this right. is going to make me uncomfortable and it, it's different and and you go for because it's different and then i think sometimes it like i i remember teaching a group of students who had had grown up post 9 11 post school shootings where it was fairly common, you know, that they had done the drills in case, God forbid, you know, somebody mm-hmm. came into their school and, and tried to shoot things up. They had grown up under this pall of uh, impending horror, impending doom all the time. So to them, um, the visceral stuff didn't work. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, because to them, that was like reading the news. They were, but they were terrified by the sp- more spiritual stuff, stuff like paranormal yeah. activity, mm-hmm. yes, or um, you know, like those kind of movies where it was something supernatural and just quiet enough to get under your skin, mm-hmm. you know. And it switches, I think, back and forth again depending on what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, I, I mean, there are fantastic works of extreme horror, splatterpunk, quiet horror, mainstream horror. You know, there's just there's a lot out there, and I think part of part of our responsibility as writers is to make sure the world knows that there's 
lots of different horror out there. So if you don't like the icky, gooey, you know, gory stuff, then, you know, try the quiet stuff because there's beautiful mm-hmm. stuff throughout the whole spectrum of the genre. Yeah. Right, right. And, and there's sci-fi will... horror, Reach. all these mixes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that's that, Mary. You're, you're writing that alien book is coming right, out right. Yes. very soon. So there you go. Um, I want to. We're kind of closing in on our, on our time, so I want to just kind of throw the chat open, and if there's any, ask if there's any questions that anybody has for any of our panelists. Uh, type it on in there, and and Melissa or I will read it. Or Melissa, if you have any any thoughts about about horror as a non-horror writer. Oh, I, I think you're muted. I said this conversation scares the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> then we've been successful. <laughs> yes. No, there was one really interesting question in the chat a few minutes ago. How do you feel about an ending that appears to be resolved and then is followed by an epilogue in which you realize, wait a minute, that's not a resolution after all. Is that too coy and cagey? Uh, for me personally, I'm okay with that because I think of, okay. I think of like the, a story like 1408, like Stephen King's 1408, or even Stephen King's uh, The Shining, where mm-hmm. the epilogue shows. I mean, it, there for the most part there is a happy ending, I guess, a resolution where at least some of the characters make it out alive, right? But it was reading the the epilogues of those stories where it really occurred to me that for all of the stuff that we put our characters through, um, they wouldn't come out unscathed. There really would never be a completely, totally happy ending where everybody goes back to life the way it was before all this happened. Yeah. And so yeah. I think uh, I I think it's good to show that the, the that there are lasting effects to these things. Um, and for the same reasons we've been talking about all night, because even even with lasting effects. There's, they still survived it, you know. They may be carrying scars from it, but they still survived it. So I don't really have a problem with epilogues that, because to me it's not so much undercutting the happy ending or the resolution. It just it's showing that you know life goes on. Deep down, it's saying you know evil. We may have stopped things temporarily, but evil does not die. Right. Right. And, right. You know, the problems are not completely over, even though we've uh, we've resolved one set of circumstances. Lisa, and there's a, a there's definitely a, question. a tool that. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, because my comment was not that it really wasn't. Oh, okay. I was literally going to talk about Flash Gordon. Keep, keep going. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll come back to that. But there's a question in the chat about um, uh, what story it was that scared you so badly. That you oh, mine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Telecommuting. I'm being honest. That story scares me silly. Okay. So. Woo, telecommuting. So if anybody hangs out on my website today, telecommuting <laughs> is kind of neat. And it scared me. And I'm being honest. <laughs> All right. So now tell us about Flash Gordon. <laughs> well, I was going to make the reference to, do you remember? And I'm dating myself. I recognize this. But it was like the, oh my gosh, was it early 70s? Well, at the end of the movie, and it was the guy who played the priest in um in uh the uh in the Exorcist. Who's the guy who played the Max Van Sydow? Mm. Yes. Got it. Yes. Yeah. He was nice. he was the guy. I don't know how I just grabbed that from the yeah. end. But he's the guy <laughs> who was like in he was the villain in Flash That's Gordon. That's right. And at the end, he's you know, Ming, he's Ming. Oh my gosh, I'm getting them all. 
but he has his <laughs> ring and you see him looking at his ring at the end of the movie. We never got anything else from that. But this is 40 something years later. And I just said it again. I spoke of it. Yeah. I've spoken of it before. Those sorts of like, that's what an epilogue's like. It was like the very last couple of seconds of the movie. Mm-hmm. And you see him looking at this ring and you think to yourself, well, it's not over. You know, it's like Cindy <laughs> just said, it's not over. And I waited for years for this to happen. Mind you, did not happen. But in an epilogue, you get that <laughs> moment of, oh, we thought it was done, but it might not be. It's an right. excellent tool. And I right. think there's nothing wrong with it. Sure. Well, and, I, you know, I should note coming out this week, uh, uh, Halloween, uh, Halloween ends. Um, you know, the end of the original Halloween, we stop Michael Myers, but then we look at the ground and he's gone. Yeah. And indeed, you know, the new set of films has looked at the lasting impact of, uh, you know, Laurie Strode's survival. And yet all these years later, she's still affected and, uh, mm-hmm. and the town is still affected. Yeah. Well, that is a good stopping point, I think, for for tonight. Uh, I'm going to um, just close this out, and I want to thank everybody. Lisa, you're you've got a cat behind you. I wish yeah. only wish we had more feline visitors on in our chats. <laughs> when I sit in my office, he doesn't have the opportunity. He's always there, but he doesn't have the opportunity to you know be at all in the camera. But now that I'm in, you know what I like to call the library. It's just a bookshelf. Uh-huh folks but the library um he can walk around and be behind me so yeah (laughs) i want to thank our our guests uh lisa and mary and sydney and melissa as always just wonderful to see you and uh i wish you all a a a scary halloween season (laughs) well thank you for having us this was thank you thank you great conversation yep all right bye everybody bye